Well, we're going to go ahead and take up the offering. And again, as we said, we're not really taking it up. We'll have the gentleman posted outside the doors as you leave. And again, if you're watching via the live stream, of course, you're welcome to give online. We certainly appreciate, again, how God has continued to meet our needs. Well, we're going to go ahead and have a word of prayer for our offering tonight. Brother Steve Cavanaugh, why don't you come and pray for the offering? Lord, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the time to be in your house, to worship you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that wonderful grace that reaches down, Lord, and saved us. Lord, we thank you for how you bless us and how you meet our needs. Lord, we pray that as we give this offering back to you, uh, that we would give cheerfully. And, uh, Lord, that you would use it to further your kingdom. We thank you for your great blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
continue in our series on marriage made simple and we kind of ended we were dealing with this issue of contentment and so if you could take your bible turn over to the book of second corinthians chapter 11 second corinthians chapter 11 
Now again, throughout this uh, course of this uh, particular series, we had uh, noted a couple things. First, we said you're going to have to be committed. When our marriage is to be successful, we need to be committed. We also said that we need to be kind. And we noted that passage in Ephesians 4.32. And again, as I've mentioned over and over again, I'm kind of more and more leaning toward it being probably about as great a, a marriage verse in the entire Bible. And again, be kind. And we said, be considerate. And we spent some time addressing and dealing with that. And I don't want to take the time to go through it all because we kind of reviewed all that last week also as we kicked this particular lesson off, if you will. And so I want to just kind of jump back in with this attitude or this, this issue of contentment. Now, again, I think it's important to recognize and realize that you don't have to be married to get something out of this series. Obviously, uh, learning to be kind is something we all ought to do, whether it's in the context of marriage or whether it's just in life. Uh, being committed is something we all need to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to our other relationships, committed to our families, committed to our church, things like that. We understand that. So these aren't just simply uh, characteristics and qualities that apply only to marriage, obviously. So if you're not married, then there's a good possibility you might end up married one day or possibly you've already been married and say, I'm not done with that one. That's okay, but either way, these are good characteristics and qualities, okay? So being content, that's something that all of us as believers need to work on. And so we're gonna pick up where we left off. Now let me briefly summarize where we've been in this area of contempt. We noted that the Apostle Paul pointed out in Philippians 4.11 that he had learned to be content. He also reminded Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. We see this in 1 Timothy 6.6. And again, he's pointing out that doing right while being content is great gain. And, And I noted last week, and I mentioned that Many work hard at doing right, but sadly few, uh, that many are never just satisfied with doing right. I mean, they're not content doing only right. Now, they want to do right, but they want to do wrong. And what I mean by that, again, is is that I'm not saying that our heart isn't to do the right thing, but we're not just simply content to do the right thing. We want more than just right, and often it's wrong. Now, our prayer shouldn't only be, Lord, help me to do right, but rather, Lord, make me content doing right. That would be a good prayer, right? So that's important, and we noted that. We talked about it. Now, again, we, we, we shared some signs of discontentment last week. What are some of the signs of discontentment? We said, well, complaining, worrying, being anxious, preoccupied with what you don't have, whether it's material or otherwise. We said being greedy or jealous, Possibly never being really satisfied with anything or anyone. Hard to please, critical, sad, disappointed. Those are all elements or signs of discontentment. Not that we can't find ourselves in those places at times and not be discontented to some degree, but if those are kind of characteristic of your life, your attitude, and your outlook, then there's a good possibility that you are discontented. We said that discontentment is a symptom. And we said, okay, what's the source then? We said that if our life is one of those lives where we feel like we want and we deserve something else in our marriage, 
We want and deserve something else in our, in our husband. We want we deserve something else in our love life. We want and deserve something else in our income or our living situation or our personal importance. If that's the characteristics, again, if that's the feeling that we have often, and if our life is fueled by those kind of thoughts, then something is malfunctioning in the heart. That's a heart issue. Our beliefs have been corrupted. If you want to live a life of contentment, if I want to live a life of contentment, then that life must be fueled by what we believe to be true about none other than God. Amen. It's all about our position, our view of God. And so we said there's a couple of things we better get under control about God. We better believe about God if we're going to hope to be content in our life. We said you got to believe that God is in control. You have to believe that God is loving. And you have to believe that God is generous. If you fail to believe those things, then like Eve, you're going to be very susceptible to Satan and you're going to find yourself tempted to think somehow that God is not giving you everything that you could have, that he's withholding, that he's keeping back something that you deserve even or that you're entitled to. And so that is basically the essence of discontentment, that we believe we deserve more than we have. We said whatever his circumstances were, the Apostle Paul learned to be content. Now here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, we're going to read now a passage that kind of fills us in on a little bit on the life and times of the Apostle Paul. So let's go ahead and read that together. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. <clears throat> of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. Now I want you to think with me for a moment, <laughs> have you ever been in a major car accident? Have you ever been in some kind of tragic accident or some kind of issue, maybe someone hurt you desperately, harmed you somehow physically? Do you know, do you remember how vivid that is in your mind right now? I want you to think about how many times he was in that situation. One lifetime. Five times alone, he received 39 stripes. We're not talking about he even got whacked by the principal. It drew blood, I'll guarantee you that. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." Now that is just kind of summarizing some of the difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced in his life. I mean, he, he, he just kept, he was on a five-ticket ride that never ended. And I mean to tell you, it was a mess at times. Now, again, as we mentioned, it would be very hard for you and I to compare our lives to the Apostle Paul and somehow sing the blues, Right? We, we got nothing to cry about in light of what he's in, in, endured and what he's gone through. But yet the Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul 
learned to be content. He learned to be content. Now, how in the world could he be content in the mess he found himself in most of the time? How's that possible? And that's really what you and I need to learn. We've got to come to that place where we can figure out how to learn to be content in whatsoever state we are in. Paul had accepted something that most of us fail to ever accept. He accepted the reality that his circumstances were all ordered by the Lord and therefore everything was well. That God certainly was in control. That God was loving and that God was generous and that God knew what he was doing even when he placed him in a bad spot. Certainly the Apostle Paul probably wouldn't have ordered up some of the things that he endured. And yet he had confidence in God's will and wisdom. He had confidence in the love and generosity of his father. He was just confident in the overall goodness which ultimately caused him to be content. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible tells us, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What Paul the Apostle ultimately learned in his life that you and I must come to grips with was simply this. Jesus is enough. And that's a tough lesson to learn in our lives. That Jesus is enough. Man, whenever we're facing difficulties, trials, or tribulation in our lives, it's easy to get our eyes even off of him and on ourselves and our circumstances. And yet the Apostle Paul was able to keep his eyes on the Lord Jesus and say, I believe in your goodness. I believe in your generosity. I believe in your kindness. I believe in your love. I believe that you, are, you have my best interest at heart. I can trust you even in the midst of this turmoil and these trials I face. You are enough, God. That's what he could say. You are enough. Paul wrote the book of Romans, and in Romans 12, 2, he states that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. That being the case, how could Paul think anything different about God than what he was thinking now? Again, his peace of mind was only possible because of his perfect trust in God. He trusted God without question. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. See, no matter why, no matter where, no matter what, Paul was in on the secret of an all-victorious Christian life. It didn't matter why something happened to the Apostle Paul. All that mattered was, how am I going to face it? It didn't matter where God led him whether it's the presence of Christ on the backside of the desert or whether it was a prison bound in chains, Paul had learned he wasn't alone. It didn't matter when he faced, uh, whether he faced, uh, excuse me, it didn't matter what he faced. It's great. Yeah, there you go. I should have put a comma in there. <laughs> it didn't matter what he faced. He was convinced he could do all things. I wish I was convinced of that myself at times. But anyway, so how could Paul be content, whether full or hungry? Well, knowing Paul, he would say the secret's Jesus Christ. He's the secret. Now, 
A lack of contentment in your life, my life, is going to leave us feeling empty, angry, and hopeless. That's just a reality. And you know, many today find themselves envious of others or of what others have. Now, as a husband or a wife, that discontentment is going to manifest itself in envy. And that envy can cause us to feel that we've been shortchanged. It can ultimately send us on a quest searching for what we feel we deserve. Remember, we talked about those feelings on Wednesday night a little bit, and we addressed that issue. How careful must we be when it comes to how we feel? We've got to be very careful that we are not fueled by our feelings, but we are fueled by the facts of the Word of God. We start searching for that which we feel we deserve. That's going to lead to further frustration, confusion, and anger in our lives. It's ultimately going to affect our marriage negatively. Boy, in order for your marriage, my marriage, to really be successful, both the husband and wife have got to learn to be content. It's as simple as it is. Now, I'm not suggesting settling for some substandard lifestyle or relationship. It's not what I'm suggesting. But I am saying that constantly feeling as though you are being cheated or shortchanged is going to destroy your marriage in time, and that is a reality. You better get a handle on contentment in every single area of your life if you want your marriage to succeed. So why are we so discontented then? How come it is that even in America, the land where literally we can go to a drive-thru and get all the food we need if we really want it, where, where, where we have roofs over our heads, we have nice soft seats to sit in, in our churches, we have beautiful buildings. Why are we as believers so discontented today, whether it be in our relationship with Christ or our relationship with our wives and husbands or even just in our world in general? Well, we noted that discontentment is rooted in the heart. We talked about that. It stems from a poor image of God. But let's get even, even a little more specific. Let's kind of draw it even in a little bit closer. Most view happiness as a destination, and therefore they are never truly content. i got to arrive somewhere. I've got to get somewhere. If I don't get there, if I don't arrive there, then I'm not happy. And if I'm not happy, I'm not content. We find ourselves searching for a moving object, and therefore we never really get our sights on it, if you know what I mean. This is happiness. Now, again, we're going to work on this, all right? But um, I'll tell you what, uh, Chase, why don't you come up here real quick? Just, just right down in the front there. You don't even have to come all the way up here. I've got happiness, and this is the goal. And You can stop right there. Everybody, everybody wants happiness in their life, so to speak. We all want it, right? I mean, that's common sense. Now, again, the, the, the thing is about happiness at times it's kind of like our goals and things. We think, well, if I just, if I reach my goals, if I reach my destination, then I'll be happy. And so we're searching for happiness. The problem is, is that happiness often is a moving object. So he starts off and thinks, okay, if I can only get a car, I'll be happy. So he starts toward happiness. Start walking. The only problem is, is that along, keep coming, along the way, his desire changes. Along the way, 
his, his heart changes. Wait a second, the car's not enough anymore. The car doesn't really bring the satisfaction he thought. Or possibly it's a moving object. He never does reach that goal. He never does get that car. Maybe for some reason he can't afford it, so he can't even buy that car that he was looking for. He's miserable now, and he is discontented. Happiness has moved. The object has moved. He's searching for something. Unfortunately, at times, it's moving. The truth is, is that he may be looking for happiness in a reaching a goal, but let me tell you, he may not reach all his goals. And if he doesn't reach these goals, if they move on him, so to speak, or something else changes in his life, maybe his financial circumstances or his health changes or something, this happiness, in a sense, moves because his goal now must change. He never reaches his goal. He's never happy. Therefore, he's never truly content. And that's many times how we treat the Christian life. Thank you, Chase. That's how we treat the Christian life. That's how we treat our lives and our marriages. We have these goals that we set. And we have this vision of what is going to make us happy. Unfortunately, that thing changes and sometimes it moves. And we never really arrive at that. Or maybe our circumstances change. Our husband loses a job. Our wife uh, ends up getting sick. Things change and we never reach the goal. We never reach happiness. And as a result, we are discontented. It's a moving object at times. Can't reach it. We just can't seem to get there. We have to learn to enjoy the journey and be content in the present. Again, until I get that husband or wife or that car or house, that degree or job, I will not be content. Now listen, there is something to be said about having uh, goals in your life. By all means, have them. Absolutely. You ought to be striving for things in your life. You should never be satisfied to sit and soak. Man, you ought to have great aspirations and great drive. You ought to be looking to get to better yourself and to make an impact in the world you live. No doubt about that. I'm not going to debate that. But if indeed you cannot only you can never be happy until you reach that goal, then my friend, you will be discontented and you will be miserable. You got to learn to enjoy the journey, to be happy with the journey. Again, most view happiness as a destination, and therefore they never find contentment. Our homes may not be everything we want them to be, but they aren't the worst either. Our relationship may not be perfect, but it's probably not falling apart. Our child isn't a genius. But they're ours. If you and I are only happy with perfection, then we will never be content. I mean, if you are waiting for everything to be perfect in your life, for everything to fall into place, then my friend, you will never be content. We need to learn to be content where we are, or simply put, be grateful for what we have. That's as simple as it really is. Now, content people focus on what they have, not on what they don't have. They take pleasure in progress, not only perfection. They make a conscious choice to be content. Paul learned to be content. I bet you there's a little bit more to that than simply just, okay, I recognize that every 
turn that I make in life, no matter how sharp it is, no matter how difficult it became, God was always there for me. Praise God, I'm content. But I also believe that he made a decision to be content because he knew that's what pleased the Lord. Work at bettering yourself, your circumstance, your relationships. But remember, successful marriages are made up of people who learn to be content and satisfied. Let me say this. If, if, if your wife or husband is never enough, then you are most likely the problem yourself. If, if they're never enough, if it's always their fault, if, it's always a, if they, only they were this, if only they were that, then I can almost guarantee you, you're the problem. Learn to be content. Choose to be content. And someone I know, there's always an exception to the rule. Someone's out there going, yeah, well, if you knew my wife. Well, maybe if I did, then I'd agree with you, but I don't. So, so anyway, so until then, I'm just going to say, if, you only, if all you see, it's always somebody else's fault in the marriage, it's probably that hmm, you might just be the bigger problem of all of it. So how do we be content then? Let's take a few steps to become content. I mean, there's no doubt that marriages can be filled with disappointment. There's no doubt that they can be filled with unfulfilled expectations. That's life. And, and you know what? It's not as uncommon as you may believe. However, how we approach these disappointments will either make or break our marriages. We got to go to the source of true satisfaction and fulfillment, and that's God. Too often we're looking to others to meet our needs and fulfill our desires. We're looking to people to do that for us. And that's a recipe for disaster. So the first step in learning to be content is God has to be first. That's number one. If you truly want to learn to be content, then God has to be first. He, he can't be second, and he can't be a, a third, and he can't even be a close number one. He needs to be number one. Turn to Matthew 6.33, a familiar passage. One that you'll recognize. The moment you get there, you'll go, oh, yeah, I know that one. That's a good one, preacher. And it is. It's a good one. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible tells us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's be honest, that is not the order we place things in our lives at times. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I mean, if you're, we'll be honest with ourselves, we really struggle with righteousness because we somehow get the idea that that means boring and that means drudgery. That's just, that's just keeping the rules and the regulations and, man, that's such a burden to be righteous. And you got to have a little spice in your life. I mean, you can't be goody two-shoes all the time and have a fun life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? We want all these things, but we want them all from someone or something other than God. But yet we'll get angry if we don't get them, and we'll blame God, but we will not... Go to God for them. 
Oh, we'll tell God that we want something, but we won't really go to God his way to get it. But we'll blame him when we don't get it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You put God first, and you'll be amazed how everything else will fall into place. You'll find that goal that you're seeking at times. You will reach and obtain that place of contentment because you'll learn that the journey itself is worth living. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, turn there now. Another very important passage when it comes to putting God first. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. <clears throat> you know, it's really interesting when we, if, if we wanted to as pastors and teachers and so forth, we could probably preach the same message every single week, every single service. And we'd still need to keep preaching it every single week and every single service. Uh, you, you know, it's just too shallow. You don't preach enough on the world. You're, you're too, too focused on the simple stuff. Well, you know what? If, what, if, what if this was the case? What if I said, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. <clears throat> Here's the whole congregation, and we're going to have to have 90%, 90% participation in the, uh, the principle we just taught, or we're going to stay on it till we get 90% of everybody doing exactly what the Bible teaches. Nine out of ten people in the congregation are going to have to follow through. Nine out of ten are going to have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness before we move on from Matthew 6.33. Otherwise, we'll preach it every service, every single week, till we get 90% of the people on board. Now, if that was a school classroom, we'd all go, that's pretty good. We want to have, make sure nine out of those ten kids at least know how to add and subtract and divide and know how to multiply. That's really good. And repetition is the key to learning. We understand that. But when it comes to church, everybody wants to learn something new before they've ever mastered the first thing. Isn't that interesting? I'm still waiting for Christians that have been saved for 20 years to recognize the need to win souls to Christ. I'm not even saying do it. Just recognize the need for it. Folks, what is wrong with us? But we don't do that. We don't keep preaching the same message over and over, although many times they cross paths. And this is one of those times. Matthew 12, 30. Look what it says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Can you imagine if we were waiting for 90% of people in the congregation to adopt that? I wonder how long it would take before we get off that verse. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just kind of struck me funny tonight. Doesn't that strike you funny? Or does it break your heart? Maybe it ought to break my heart more instead of making me strike me funny. See, if we're not placing God first in our lives and relationships, then you know what we're doing? We're worshiping other gods. You know, the God of money, the God of self-actualization, the God of accomplishments. And you know what the interesting thing about those gods are? Those gods, they always leave you empty and unfulfilled. 
Now, okay, I'm not talking about on the onset. You know, let's face it. There's pleasure in sin for a season, right? We know this to be the case. The Bible tells us that's the case. Anybody that tells you there's no pleasure in sin isn't reading the Bible. But hold on a second. It's short-lived. It's very short-lived. The devil will be glad to give you his best up front, but I promise you he'll steal everything good after that. They always leave you empty and unfulfilled. But a contented life is available. But having it is conditional based upon our obedience to God, however. Look if you at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. Notice again the conditional nature of the blessings of God in our life. Sometimes we get the idea that just because I am someone's son, he owes me something. We have raised a generation of young people and unfortunately young adults even who have this sense of entitlement, which means that they believe somehow that they deserve something or have been, they're owed something. Listen, can I, can I tell you this right now? And you don't have to agree with me. That's all right. But one day when you're pastoring a church, you can say what you like. I do not believe that a parent has to put their child through college to be a good parent. It might be a good thing for a child to work a little bit to get what they want in life, to learn that it doesn't come cheap or free. Because nothing in life is free outside of your salvation. And you know what? Sometimes we cripple our children because we somehow teach them that anything they want, whatever they desire, is theirs. Uh-uh. We are doing them a disservice. And you know, God, he has to work with that now. And he, he faces us now in a generation where we have learned that if someone loves me, they'll just give me what I want. And God doesn't always give us what we want. And then we turn around and we get angry at God. Why aren't you giving me what I want? If you really love me. We have raised a generation to believe that God's a bad God because we've been bad parents. That's pretty pitiful, isn't it? But unfortunately, we need to take responsibility for these things. And then we need to address them and deal with them. If you are in the midst of raising your children, do not teach them that whatever they want, they're going to get. Matter of fact, it's good for them to learn to face it, deal with it, and say, why don't you go ahead and do a few chores around the house? Hey, listen, I got a job over here you can do. Why don't you work a little bit? And then I'm going to be honest with you, if they're in the house and it's just household chores, I'm not giving them an allowance for doing household chores because that's what people that live together do. They work together to make it work. Get them out there and have them dig a hole and put all the dirt over here and then say, hey, move that dirt over there again. Do something, but then if it's time to dry the dishes and they're supposed to help, let them help and let them learn that that's just what you do. You contribute. Again, I know that's old-fashioned. I just thought I'd throw it out. But can I tell you, young people are learning not to be content because somehow they have learned that every time they do something good, they ought to be rewarded for it. And unfortunately, even older people have bought into that lie. Let's put God first. Now watch this. Again, notice this condition, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 15. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments 
If ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. He says, listen, you're going to have to, you, you, you got to understand, you need to hearken diligently unto my commandments. You need to obey me without question. You need to yield yourself to my leadership. Allow me to point you in the direction and give you the, the, the commands that I have and follow them to a T. If you will follow me, if you allow me to direct and lead you, then you will be blessed. Amen. It's amazing. When our children learn to obey mom and dad, how blessed are they? How much trouble do they avoid in life? And how wonderful can our homes be, our relationships be with our children when they have learned to diligently keep our commandments and hearken to our commandments? First step, God has to be first. No questions. This is not debatable. He has to be first if we're going to be content. Number two, get the right outlook. If you're going to be content, you have to have the right outlook. Develop an eternal perspective of things. We talk about this often again. Remember I said things just kind of mesh together. They, we kind of cross, crisscross the truths of the word of God often. Well, this is one of those times again. Man, look at your past, your present, and your future through eternal eyes. Do that. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Can I tell you, it'd do you good to write out those blessings? You say, but my marriage is a mess. My husband's a loser. My, my kids don't do anything I tell them to do. It's a mess. I don't have anything to be grateful for, nothing to be happy about. Man, you need to just get alone with God and a piece of paper and start writing the things that you do have. Man, you need to start thinking it because you have lost perspective. Write them down. Praise God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do, not only on this earth, but also in a heavenly fashion in the future. Think about what God's going to do, not only what he's doing now. Keep striving for an ideal, of course. Work hard. You know, the, the truth is, is good things do come to them that work hard. You work hard, it just seems like you get lucky. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm always going to work. I'm excited and I'm proud of some of the young people here in our church. They've worked hard in their younger years and now they've got scholarships to school. I'm so pleased about that. Hey, you know what? Good things happen when you work hard. Oh, they're so lucky. That ain't luck. That's hard work. You make your own luck in life. Oh, I know. That's not popular today. But I tell you what, it still works. You work hard. You strive. God will bless you. And he'll bless you at the hand of men many times. So keep striving for an ideal, yes. But be happy enough with what you have now and what you can have now. And what you, I mean, I mean the, the best is still yet to come. No matter how it looks on this earth, let me tell you something, the best is yet to come. 
When you accept that as a fact, you're going to make great strides in being satisfied with the present. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So let me say this then. I think many times it's important that we decrease our expectations of self and others. But we increase our expectations of God. Sometimes we expect so much of ourselves we are never happy. We are never content. I'm stupid. I'm a nothing. I'm nobody. I can't do anything right. And that may be true to some degree. We all mess up and we all make mistakes. And there are some things that we're just not good at and there are some things we're better at and all of that. But hold on a second. You be careful that your expectations of yourself are not overly expected or whatever you want to call it. Don't set your expectations too high for yourself. I'm not saying lower them so low that anybody could get them. I mean, oh, well, there's my expectations. Well, I reached, those. I reached my expectations. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Put a string on the ground. Those are my expectations for myself. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But also, don't make those expectations so high. Well, I want to get straight A's. And you're lucky to get C's in school, working as hard as you can. Be careful. Maybe a B would be a better goal for you. Why don't you ask some others around you, help me set some goals for my life. If you're really struggling to reach them, maybe your goals are a little too high. Maybe your expectations of self are a little too high. You can never be content if that's the case. By the way, you can have expectations for your marriage that are way off the charts. You can have expectations for a husband, way off the charts. Expectation of a wife, way off the charts. You better be careful that your expectations are tempered, that they're not so high that it always leaves you wanting more, and you find yourself envious of others, and ultimately you are discontented. You're searching for that elusive goal or that elusive happiness. You can never find it because it doesn't exist. Every time you get near it or start moving toward it, guess what? It vanishes because it's so unrealistic. I want my husband to read his Bible two hours a day. I want him to teach junior church. I want him to be a preacher. I want him to do the order. Well, what's God want him to do? And how are you helping him get where God wants him? And the same thing with a husband and his wife. Be careful that your expectations aren't off the charts so high that it's impossible for her to ever live up to it, and therefore you're never really content with her. But you ought to increase your expectations of God, though, because he can change lives. He can do the impossible when you or no one else can. He can meet your need when no one else can. When Sherry and I started Community Baptist, we started in the basement of the Lake Senior Center. That was a converted garage. You know, in those days, early on, there was no carpeted floors, no padded seats, we didn't even have a proper nursery. There was no door. It was about a, a 10 feet opening on the one end of the building, and it literally went right on around. And in that particular room was a pool table. That was our nursery. The children were changed on the pool table around the corner. You could hear them crying and screaming. I mean, it just, there was nothing there. So we eventually put a, we put a curtain up. That stopped the sound a lot. That helped tremendously. 
The first two and three-year-old classroom was in a hallway outside of the bathrooms that led to the stairs going up. I mean, literally a little cubby hole. I mean, it wasn't any bigger than from here to here in a little corner like this. And the little kids sat there, two or three or four of them, and the teacher would stand there in the hallway and talk to them. And people at times would come and use the bathrooms, and they'd have to walk right past the classroom. And every once in a while, once we got to the place where we was out to use upstairs, they still were trying to meet, but it became a problem because people were going up and down the steps. But you know what? It was interesting. We were content. We were content there. We had to set up and break down every service. And we didn't have those plastic tables in those days. We didn't have things that were light. Anytime you had to set up tables for classes or do any of that, it weighed a ton. I still remember the sound system after we'd gotten going a while. The sound system had to be folded up and put away. And it was a nice little setup, but it weighed 100 pounds. Of course, the only one that could handle it was me, and I'd carry it down with one hand. You don't get like this not working hard. <laughs> but you know what? We, we understood something. This wasn't all there was. We had hope in God, and we trusted him like nobody's business. We were convinced at that point that if we worked hard and depended on God, he'd do a miracle over time. And he did. He did. I wonder, I wonder how you view your marriage today. Do you see it as a work in progress, or do you see it finished and all washed up already? See, to see it that way is to dismiss the God factor. To dismiss Him, the Heavenly Father. Perspective is so important. More than not, success is defined by moving in the right direction rather than arriving at a particular destination. You hear what I just said? And I think this is so important. It's something that I just believe with all my heart. It's something I learned through the years. More than not, success is defined by moving in the right direction rather than arriving at a particular destination. If we were waiting to arrive on the hill at Community Baptist Temple as it is today, I'd be miserable for the last 25, 20 years. But it wasn't the destination. It was the journey. As long as we keep heading in the right direction, that's success. And I'll tell you what, it's easy to be content with success. But if our expectations are off the charts, if somehow we haven't learned these simple truths, then we will be discontented. When our expectations are rooted in misconception and we find them to be unrealistic, we'll be miserable and discontented. Too many times we paint a picture in our mind of who and what we want to be.
But until we become who and what we want to be, many times we are so discouraged, so down on ourselves that we can never truly be happy or find contentment. It's sad, isn't it? You know, again, I told you the other week that there was a point in the ministry where sometimes when the numbers were down, I got real discouraged. I'm talking about early, early on, the first year even. And like I told you, there was an element every once in a while at the end of a Sunday coming into Monday, I'd think, man, that service was okay, but it wasn't the best. But then I'd have, we'd have a good number of people there, maybe three or four more than we had the week before. Wow, that was a good Sunday. What happened was, again, is that I started having a picture in my mind of who I wanted to be, what I wanted to be. be. And I wasn't measuring up. I was failing to measure up to my own expectations. And that caused me to be discontented. I saw myself as a failure. And you know what really was going on? And this is really something that we need to keep in mind. First, I was looking to others to make me happy or content. See, if others made their way to Community Baptist Temple in those first months, then I was happy, content. But if others didn't, then I was like, oh, boy. I was looking to others to make me happy or content. Number two, I wanted success and I wanted it now. I didn't want to wait around. See, what God ultimately taught me early on was that all I need was him and that his definition of success is all that really matters. You know what I've learned again? More than not, success is defined by moving in the right direction rather than arriving at the particular destination. Temper your expectations. People are going to let you down, but God never will. You can trust God to come through to meet all your needs and desires in the best way possible. By the way, don't envy others. So often we're, com we're in comparison mode, aren't we? We compare ourselves with this person and that person. Sometimes, most of the time, we only view others from an outward appearance too, by the way. We, we're looking at all the social media pictures of the ideal family, the ideal home and success. And we think to ourselves, wow, they got it all and I got nothing. All you're seeing is the pictures. Don't think for a minute that more, that, that's more than likely not exactly how it is, by the way. I could tell you story after story after story after story after story of people that appeared to be so happy. But I knew they were miserable. You better learn to be content. You better learn to be content. Just because somebody looks nice in a suit or a dress, just because their kids are just perfect, just stair-stepped, because their house is so beautiful, they got such a nice vehicle to drive in, they got all the money they could ever want. Let me tell you something. You be careful that you're not focused on the outward. You better focus on your inward and start dealing with things. Get your eyes off of everybody else. Slam your phone on the ground, break it, whatever you have to do, but quit 
watching and looking at others and comparing yourself, your husband, your wife, your family to them. Take them before God and say, God, where do we stand with you? Finally, last but not least, and we're out of time, but let me just give you this because I want to conclude this. We're almost done anyway. Serve others. You want to learn to be content? You're going to learn to be content. If you're going to do that, then one, God has to be first. No questions asked. Get, on the, get the right outlook. And then finally, serve others. <clears throat> this is one of those ones that people are like, yeah, whatever. No, I'm telling you, it is absolutely essential and it's, norm, it, it's, it's imperative. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Well, we could spend a whole service, couldn't we, talking about that portion right there where it says, let each esteem other better than themselves. What does that really mean? How does that play out? What's it look like in the church, at work? What's it look like at home, in the family? Maybe we'll do that sometime. But he goes on to say, let, look not every man on his own things, <clears throat> but every man also on the things of others. When we find ourselves consumed with discontentment, it's time to shift our focus onto other people's, other people's needs instead of our own. The moment you find yourself being discontent, the moment you feel somehow that someone else has it better than you, the moment you feel that you just want to envy what they have and you feel like you've been let down, that somehow God has disappointed you and your husband or wife has disappointed you, your children have let you down. It's time for you to get your eyes off of your own needs and on the needs of others. I know it's a simple fix. It sounds too simple to work. But can I tell you the most miserable person in a marriage is the one who is most concerned about their needs? The most miserable person in a marriage is the one who's most concerned about their needs. When you are concerned for others, you are unlikely consumed with self. It's hard to be focused on yourself when you're doing for others. It's kind of like praying for others. I'm not talking about the, the gossip prayer. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I said, don't, don't fall prey to that. Well, well just, what's going on? I'll, I'll pray for you. <laughs> oh, sister so-and-so's having a hard time. Let's pray for her. Somebody tells you something like that, you keep your mouth shut and you pray for them. Don't you share that news with someone else under the guise of let's pray. Don't do that. just thought I'd throw that in there because I know that's always such a blessing. I've observed folks, however, that are very active in ministry, but not for the right reasons. Now, hold on, what I'm going to say here. I'm talking about serving others. I know people that have served the Lord because they've truly needed someone to affirm their value. They need somebody to tell them how wonderful they are, how important they are, how valuable they are. You will be miserable if that's why you do what you do. You will be so miserable. Oh, they help others. They meet needs, but their real motive is self-affirmation or self-serving. That'll destroy you, and it'll destroy those around you. It 
See, it's what they're getting out of the service that truly is motivating them. Don't fall prey to that. Do you know a, a true servant never, ever wants anything in return? Doesn't expect anything in return. Just does it because that's what a servant does. And that's what their responsibility is. Why do you serve the Lord? Why do you serve your spouse? Are you trying to get something out of your spouse? If you don't get what you're serving them for, you will be disappointed. Ultimately, you will get discouraged. You'll be angry. And before you know it, I guarantee you, you will be discontent. And then you know what you'll do? You'll go searching for it somewhere else. No one ever tells me how important I am. Nobody ever shares with me how valuable what I do is. I spend all this time working and doing this and doing that, and nobody even gives me, well, you be careful. Now listen, good husbands and wives, we've already talked about it, are considerate of one another. They're kind to one another, and they're committed to one another. We've already discussed those three. So we're not dismissing that. But if the only reason you do what you do for someone else is to get something in return, you will always be discontented in the long run. If you feel hurt, frustrated, angry, abused, used, and taken for granted in the midst of your service, I'd ask you to evaluate your motives. Who are you really looking for recognition and reward from? Remember, number one, if we're going to learn to be content, first and foremost, we have to put God first, number one. And he ought to be the one we're looking to for contentment, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Selfishness will strangle the life out of your marriage. Don't be selfish. You say, I'm not. But he or she is. Okay. When you get your eyes on Jesus and others, you're going to find the contentment will replace the feelings of emptiness, anger, hopelessness, and envy. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's time that we get our eyes on someone other than ourselves. That'll go a long ways to helping you become content. So, Three things we talked about. Number one, God has to be first. Number two, get the right outlook. And finally, number three, serve others. Those are three steps we can take to learn to be content, to become content in our lives. Are you content tonight? Are you content? I'm not saying, is there a righteous, a, a righteous dissatisfaction with where you're at with Christ? Listen, I, I think we all ought to want to be better for God. We all ought to want to be a better husband, a better wife. But can you say, I am content where I'm at, but I'm still going to strive to even be better. I think there's a balance there we have to reach. So I just want to ask you, are you content today with your marriage? Are you content with your family? And again, if, if you're not, ask yourself why. Is it because there are areas that need to be fixed and worked on? Then begin to fix and work them. But find a way to learn to be content in whatsoever state you are as you are journeying in that direction, as you are taking it one day at a time. Success is found 
in the journey. Make sure you're focusing on it. Be going in the right direction and you'll feel all right. Stay in the right direction. Father, we come to you. We need you. We, we thank you for all you do for us. Lord, we, we are all fighting and warring with this issue of, of contentment in our lives. There is no doubt about it. And Lord, we, we recognize our, our shortcomings often in this area. As believers, we're, we need to be very aware of our hearts and our feelings. Lord, may we not allow ourselves to fall prey to Satan tempting us and telling us somehow that we deserve more, that he, God, has somehow shortchanged us, that everybody else is better off than we are. Lord, by all means, help us to be motivated, to strive to be the best we can be in our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, and our marriages, our families, and Lord, to be the best we can be at work and everywhere we are. But Lord, may we learn to be content like the Apostle Paul. Things don't always turn out the way we like. And sometimes the goals that we have are somewhat like moving objects and we never quite reach them until we learn to be satisfied with the journey. We'll never truly be content. Help us, Father, to have the right attitude, the right spirit, the right outlook, and to put you first in our life. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll give you a